0: You're listening to the Cycling Podcast Femina, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches.
1: Well, hello and welcome to the Cycling Podcast Femina, or should I say... G'day, everybody. Because. No, don't. This. Time... <laughs>
2: please, please don't, Rose.
1: <laughs> because uh, in this episode, we're talking all about the World Championships that were, of course, as you know from uh, my wonderful accent,
3: were in Wollongong uh, last week. So, g'day, all I thought we were in Summer Bay, never mind Wollongong. G'day, mate. <laughs> and g'day, Lizzie Banks. G'day, both. <laughs> um, we're getting worse. I just, I'm not- really sorry to anyone who might be listening down under. We're not, we're not claiming to be any good in any way at um, Southern Hemisphere accents. Rose, you look really offended. Speak for
1: yourself, <laughs> Paula, come on. People actually used to, with my normal accent, people used to think I was Australian. I don't know why. Mm. Yeah, I don't but know why either. Doesn't. <laughs> people, yeah. <laughs> apparently people from south london quite regularly get confused with uh, aussie people but maybe that's maybe that's just maybe me. you can just do your normal accent well, no- then. well yeah i know i will stick to it now i will stick to it now but none, none of us made it out to australia actually but i mean or you were working the whole thing obviously probably what time did you get up in the end to to be on and Ooh, ready for the world championships
3: sneakily, I got up earlier for the women's race and the men's race. I thought I could afford to miss a bit of the start of the men's race. So I got up like 45 minutes later. For the women's race, I got up at 3am. And I was getting ready already by the time they rolled out of the neutral zone. So um, I was very proud of myself for that, actually. Lizzie, did you get up bright and early? What did you do?
2: I I got up and watched the last two hours, which I was quite proud of myself for, because I'm not a morning person. So uh, I was up at seven. <laughs> but no, it was worth it. It was it was a good, good timing, because the action was quite backloaded. And the last hour of the race was absolutely on fire. So no, it was a great race. Glad I, glad I got up for it. The men's I got up thinking I'd get the last two minutes and I, m- <laughs> I missed it. I was about two, mi- <laughs> two minutes after the, start, after the finish of the race. Probably um, the men's race. Can I say that yeah. I didn't really miss much? Yeah, I think exactly. definitely the action throughout the week was really in the women's races. So. But I mean, that's nothing, that's nothing new to us here on Feminine, Yeah,
1: it? the men's race you would have had to have turned up early to have seen <laughs> And then you could have gone back to sleep again race. and
3: missed nothing, to be honest. Yes.
1: Mm. Yeah,
3: yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, well, that's not the
1: only uh, race that was on uh, last week. So uh, all give us your news roundup. Let's find out what happened elsewhere.
3: I will indeed. And we haven't even announced, um, I say announced, the winner of the Women's Road Race. It's not like we're unveiling, um, opening an envelope. I think everybody probably knows by now. It's Annemiek van But I'm going to start with one of the superstars of the week. Um, Zoe said, of course, uh, the women's junior time trial, first of all, the reigning world junior champion completed an unprecedented quartet of titles at the time across four different disciplines by winning the time trial by the biggest margin ever seen in the junior ranks at the Worlds. I saw that on social media, so it must be true, I reckon. Um, She won by one minute and 36 seconds. And I'm going to continue with the junior results because Zoe deserves to have her, her results shouted from the proverbial rooftops before we get to the senior woman because she retained that road title again I understand, by a bigger winning margin than has ever been seen in the juniors. This time, two minutes and seven seconds having attacked from nine kilometres into the race and then essentially going on her second time trial of the week. Um, Zoe was the only rider to come away from Wollongong with two rainbow jerseys in her suitcase and will be the most anticipated rider to arrive in the senior ranks when she makes her World Tour debut with the EF Education Tibco SVP. She was also largely responsible for GB topping the medal table at the Road Worlds. Did we all notice this? I hadn't noticed that. Did not. No, not at all, actually. Well I done, Lizzie. That. Somebody's away. Yeah, GP <laughs> yeah, topped the medal table, remarkably. It was the most successful ever road world because her two goals were joined by another junior gold, if I may be so bold as to allow a mention of the guys on Femina. Close your ears briefly if you don't um, oh care God. for this kind of chat much. But Josh Tarling won um, gold in the men's junior time trial as well. Um, so, yeah, they, they came away from Australia top dogs. The USA and Spain left empty-handed, um, however, but uh, strong results does, across does the board. It does make you think, actually. Uh, Zoe Back said, if she was a country
1: where she would have ranked on her own, yeah, that, She would have been. Pretty we love high this. Up. She would have been pretty
2: high up because of the two gold medals, because it's it's weighted not towards the yes, number the of golds, medals, but of yeah. course towards who has the number of golds. Um, so I think she would have been, you know, near near or at the top because there was nobody else with three golds. So. Congratulations to the country of
3: Baxter. <laughs> Do you know what this is this is what it's like to be from Yorkshire during an Olympic Games. Every Olympic cycle. Um, people from Yorkshire like to say just how well Yorkshire would do if it was an entire country yes. at the medals table. Anyway, Zoe back said, You are you're like, you're, <laughs> like Yorkshire. <laughs> you're a country of your own. Congratulations. Um, on to the elite woman then. And Ellen Van Dyke won the individual time trial for a third time, her second time in a row, with Grace Brown finishing second and Marlon Rooster in third. The mixed relay time trial created a lot of drama. We'll get to that in a moment. But it was won by Switzerland over Italy with Australia in third. And then the road race won in spectacular fashion, even by her standards, by Annemiek van Vleuten with a broken elbow over Lotta Capecchi and Sylvia Persico in third third, and of course the under twenty three race, which was the inaugural running of this race within a race. It was won by Nee Fisher Black of New Zealand with Pfeiffer Georgie in second, and Ricarda Bauernfind of Germany in third. Um, well, we did have the Giro d'Emilia Donne with Felisa Longoborghini taking her third career victory over Veronica Ewers and Sophia Bertet Solo. And that was Longoborghini's fifth win of 2022. And then we have also had Bash Shime Bash with Lorena Vibes winning her last race for Team DSM because of course she does. And it gave her a race tally this year, according to Dan Lloyd off of Twitter, of 23 wins from 50 days of racing. Absolutely phenomenal. So we've only got one Women's World Tour race left this season. Oh, we've got a finger in the air. Lizzie Banks wants to have a word. Yes, Lizzie, speak, speak. Well can i just slip in
2: and i i think because this is this only happened yesterday uh Valley varicine elisa Longo borghini backed up her win at the giro dell'Amelia with a second victory there uh, and it was almost a replication of the podium because it was uh, elisa Longo borghini veronica ewers um and then anne Santesteban taking the third spot and that itself is an interesting Battle because actually Trek Segafredo were only 600 beho- points behind SD Works after the World Championships in the overall uh, best team. And this isn't the Women's World Tour best team because SD Works have got that wrapped up. This is the sort of points for everything throughout the whole year. Uh, and in those last two races, Trek have gained over 400 Aww. points. So it's down to less than 200 points with only this last Tour de Romandie coming up, which is going to be an absolute Swiss showdown with all of the main names following Mormon Longo Borghini, Utrecht, Ludwig, if she's recovered from the sickness that took her out of the Italian races, Nivea Doma, Ewers Spratt, Antestaban, Lipper, and of course, the new world road race champion, Annemarie Van Vluten. Oh, can't wait. So... We're going to see Trek pushing everything to get those points to try and take that win off uh, SD Works in the Tour de to this weekend. I have to say,
3: they'd be a very popular top team, really, wouldn't they? I think, I mean, much as I love SD Works and all the rest of it, but they've had so much success over the years, and I think Trek have really won my heart in the last couple of years by the nature of their wins, the attacking way they ride, the way that they really ride as a team together. I think it's brilliant to see um, their progress over the last couple of years.
2: And SD Works have won the best team in the women's world tour yeah. so why not let's give the best team yeah share it out come on share <laughs> out prizes come
1: on it's, it's, only Sharing it's, only, it's only a game guys
3: <laughs> let's just share share it all around thank <laughs> you for keeping me right Lizzie. we were supposed to record this yesterday weren't we so I, I had written my news round up and then I have been attacked by migraines since then so I spent most of yesterday in bed when I wasn't looking after the kids so I totally missed that so thank you um, a few things to look out for then we have the inaugural UCI Gravel Worlds coming up. Pauline Ferrand Prevost will be attempting to win her fourth world title of the season. I mean, holy moly guacamole. That's um, October the 8th and 9th in Veneto in Italy. Um, I noticed that Ride London has kept its Women's World Tour status for next year even though it failed to meet the live tv requirements this year which i find very interesting um apparently they've been able to provide contractual evidence of their commitment to television for next year and that's been deemed enough to be able to keep the race um begs the question what they provided as evidence this year but i'd be very um keen to see that these rules are actually implemented much as i love ride london it needs to be it needs to meet the standards doesn't it and if they don't do it this year then yeah but that's it surely I, th- I think for many years actually i mean it's never
1: a one strike and you're out on the the live stream because i mean the, you know the women's tour we only got that this year to have a, a live live coverage uh at the women's tour didn't we so uh, and they've always been a Women's World Tour race. So I, I don't think... Uh, maybe they're going to come down a little bit harder on it now, that it, it seems that every well, exactly. race has live coverage.
2: It can be done. We know it right can London. be
1: done. Yeah, so...
3: Uh, it seems be- to be
1: very clear
2: that if they didn't get it sorted for, mm-hmm. for 2023, then that was their last chance and that they had... They had to provide evidence that they were doing it. So I think that there was so much uproar
3: last year yeah. that if they don't do it in 2023, I think that's it. Yeah. That's really that's it. That's it. Once and for all. That's like with my kids. Three, two, one. Three, two. So <laughs> Ride London is on at second. Three, two, one. Anyway, um, the Canel Evans great... <laughs> Sorry <laughs> My iPad has clearly done a typo And I went to read this out word for word A la Ron Burgundy And it's been It's quite a fitting um, autocorrect I have written down Or my iPad has written down The Cadell Evans Great Oven Road Race Returns to the calendar for next year <laughs> Obviously it's the Great Ocean Road Race With the women's race That's the Great British Bake Off <laughs> yeah, version Exactly but um, The women's race is going to be 22 kilometers longer for next year And the last little bit of news that I've got um Lizzie probably will be able to help me out if I've uh, left any holes um is that the Kiwi Road champion Olivia Ray has been banned for two and a half years after admitting to doping violations the 24 year old was supplied by performance enhancing drugs by the US writer Jackson Nash who was banned for life last month so I think that's your roundup. just to add to that Ola it's a very it's a very very sad story
2: that um sounds from the news reports like it's been intertwined with reports of uh, domestic abuse. And um, of course, there's no circumstances where I would ever condone doping, but it, it sounds like there is so much more to the story that needs to be unpicked um, and a very, very sad case uh, for both riders. Um,
1: yeah, The only other thing uh, that I wanted to mention, Orla, was the uh, rumour of the, a very strong rumour, going around that uh Ineos will have a women's team and it's funny that you mentioned Pauline ferron prevot because she is the rider that has been Mm. uh, tipped to be joining uh that
3: team I am trying to get to the bottom of that I had hoped to um squirrel out some information by now but not just yet but yeah the rumors are quite solid at this stage aren't they it sounds um, like it's coming from several sources anyway. So we'll watch that space with a lot of interest.
2: Well, there's a couple more snippets of information. One that actually came out of the Twitter sphere this morning. And there were rumours yesterday, I think, that uh, the Tour de France was going to be going back to the Puy-de-Dôme after many, many years. But then this morning, and and I have to say, it didn't say the Tour de France or the Tour de France femme, but it did say this morning that Clermont Ferrand had been confirmed as hosting the start of the Women's Tour de France in 2023. Which is interesting, because for those who like their French geography, Clermont-Ferrand is just 23 miles from the top of the puy de Dome. So I'm wondering <laughs> if the Tour de France Femme could be set for a, a stage one up the puy de Dome. Wouldn't oh, that be 23-kilometre yeah. 23, 23 ITT, Clermont-Ferrand to Puy-de-Dame. But there had been some talk last year about uh, the return of this this hilltop finish, a mountaintop finish, um, and actually how... The, the logistics were so difficult getting everything up to the top of the mountain that perhaps uh, using the women's race could be a good way to test the waters for it uh, so so putting these two bits of information together uh, you know in the last few hours I think it, it could be something that we want to watch and see how that unfolds um, but the Tour de France presentation for the Homme and the Femme will be later this month so we will be keeping our ears and eyes, eyes peeled
0: Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat or drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights, and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success.
1: Well, thank you very much to Super Sapiens, title sponsors of the Cycling Podcast. If you want to find out how their system of continuous glucose monitoring can help tailor your fueling and training for success, then head to supersapiens.com. Well, we come out of the World Championship Week with two phenomenal uh, Dutch dominant uh, riders uh, in the form of Ellen van Dijk winning the Time Trial and Annemiek van Vleuten, winning the road race. I mean, what can we say, Orla, about these two phenomenal riders who have just been on the top of their game for so many years now?
3: Do you know what? I think anything you say about them has to be in hushed tones of awe. I absolutely love what they provide. And also, I do love that women's racing is at a stage where both of those wins were something of a surprise. If you were to look at the results sheet, you might think, oh, yeah, so far, so inevitable. Certainly, when we get to the, the road race, there was nothing expected about how that panned out. But even with Ellen Van Dyke, she wasn't expecting to win this, you know. And it's how many years now since her first world title? I should have looked that up. Uh, 13, 13, 13 12, 13 years since her first rainbow world title. And I feel like um, what's really impressive about her in particular is how long she's been on the top, but how much the landscape of women's racing has changed around and underneath her. So she's not just been at the top of her game and winning rainbow jerseys when there isn't much competition. We've never had a fiercer, more exciting women's peloton than we do right now. And we have done for the last couple of years. And she is still right up there. I just find her mentally, physically so impressive. And actually what I love about her more than anything is her energy. She brings such energy to everything she does and big smiles and she still seems to really blink and love it, which is amazing. Shall we get into listening to her? before we discuss it any further.
2: Well, I'm just gonna quickly do a a live corrections corner. Good. (laughs) Corrections corner for myself. It was actually 2013, so it was 11 years ago, but 2013, uh, 2021, 2022, absolutely remarkable. Whatever way
3: you slice it, it is phenomenal what she's been doing. Um, So I asked her about her time trial. I asked about the disastrous, frankly, comical mixed relay time trial, which we'll get to in a bit and about Annemiek van Vleuten's shock win, quite frankly, in the road race. And I also asked her about a new Netflix series that has caused a bit of a stir. But first, here's Ellen van Dijk on the time trial. So first of all, gefiliciteerd on your third world title. How does this one feel?
4: Yeah, of course, super uh, special again. But they all have their own uh, own story. And the first time I won it was really... Uh, it felt like it was a breakthrough for me, like uh, like the start of, uh, of a great career um, and then it took me eight years to get another one and i was chasing that forever so um, yeah last year was super super emotional and this year was a bit of a surprise i just thought well if if i can do a good result it's a bonus but i had my year in the rainbow already and then uh yeah it, it took me some time to to realize i uh, i really did it again and and it feels very special because it's uh it's two in a row and also on two complete different courses so yeah i'm just uh yeah super super happy with it
3: were you really surprised ellen because i know the course isn't one that you would have preferred and i've read how you said you packed your rainbow jersey away on the night before but you've been in incredibly good form you've been incredibly strong were you really that surprised whenever you took the title again
4: yeah, actually, I was also because I had uh, quite some back problems mm. in the um, in the week before, so I had a lot of uncertainties, and I didn't race for two weeks. So I knew my training was going well, and my training was all good. But I always thought uh, on the, on, a, on a course like this, other riders are better. And, yeah, I don't think I'm the favourite here. Um, yeah, but looking back, maybe uh, it was a course for me. I mean, <laughs> it showed in the end. But yeah, uh, yeah, going there, I never really had the feeling like, oh, this is going to be my world championships. And then, uh, yeah, then the surprise is even bigger.
3: Do you think this confirms something for you then? I mean, I, I find it quite... Amusing really I guess that you would be surprised to be world champion again although as you say it, it comes with all of the caveats with the injury or the, the back trouble anyway and, and the course not suiting you but whenever you won your first you say it was a surprise the second took such a long time. Does this confirmed for you just where you sit in women's <laughs> cycling?
4: yeah kind of yeah um yeah so the first was not really a surprise but at that moment i i really it felt like this was my breakthrough and yeah then uh i kind of confirmed that eight years later i could still be on the top and then yeah to do it another time the year after it's kind of yeah feels for me it's very satisfying because it feels like wow uh yeah it shows that i'm uh yeah, I'm really the best at at this moment, which is uh, always a bit weird to say. But yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's uh, especially like I said because it's on two complete different courses mm. and yeah, two years. So um, yeah, that's that's something that really gives me a lot of satisfaction. Mm, it's
3: pretty cool. Um, talk to me about the drama of the mixed relay, Ellen. You almost couldn't have made <laughs> all of that up. I mean, talk tell me how it all happened from your viewpoint.
4: Uh, yeah, so we we uh, trained the uh, the day before together with the three of us. And then already we had nearly a crash, which was quite scary. (laughs) Um, It's always a bit scary to ride ride that close to each other. And normally you do it with your own teammates and you're very well used to each other. But yeah, with this, it was a bit different. So um, yeah, that was not the greatest experience. But after a while, we were used to each other and we thought, okay, let's go for this. Um, Yeah, and we were all quite nervous. But um, I also... um, yeah, I was in the wheel of Annemiek and I uh, I saw her going off the ramp and I took a little bit, I had a little bit of distance already because um, Rihanna Marcus, she started very fast and I'm not a fast starter, so oh. I thought, okay, <laughs> wait a second. <laughs> and I also saw Annemiek was pushing on the limit and yeah, we still don't know really what happened. But uh, yeah, from my point of view, she shifted to the inner chain ring or something and then she just yeah, I just saw her going into her frame, uh, and then I saw she was steering the other way and crashing, and yeah, at that moment, I thought I was also going to crash, but somehow uh, I could ride over her bike, Um, Yeah. yeah, and then you look back, and I thought, oh no, Annemiek, this is really bad, and then it took some time to realize oh but we are still with two and we have to finish this race so we mm. had to keep going but also during this race you're thinking like oh i hope on is okay mm. um yeah so that was uh that was of course a very weird day especially also because the men they uh, they screwed it up for us already <laughs> <laughs> yeah
3: all their uh, fault how aware how yeah. aware were you of what was happening with the men's team and, and everything that had befallen balka
4: yeah, so we heard it uh, before we started that Bauke had a, had a mechanical, So and we also knew that they had to do it with the two of them, so we thought, oh no, this is going to be really hard to make up this time. I mean, we're used to, uh, to that we need to make up time for the men, like last year, but uh, this was almost impossible, we knew that. Yeah, and then, of course, when on the Mikares, that was was for sure impossible. But anyway, I think we would have never made up the... I think they Mm. lost 40 seconds or something. That was not possible for us to... to, um yeah to get that time
3: back with two mechanicals and another attack by a bird um do you take some (laughs) comfort from the fact that you finished in fifth all the same or does it make it all the more frustrating because clearly you could have done something special if everything had gone according to plan
4: i think it could have been really close with uh, close with switzerland and italy because they were also only three seconds apart from each other and i think we uh, we will be really close in this battle so i think it would have been really exciting but yeah, what if doesn't count? Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, we had this bad luck. And uh, I think Rihanna and me, we did a really good uh, good time trial. I had a, I I felt good that day. Um, but yeah, he, yeah, we got fifth with it. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a shame at that moment. But you know, when you're a world champion already, everything is like, <laughs> oh, it, it could be nice, but. Not, <laughs> yeah.
3: I'll take your word for that, Ellen. I will never have any idea what that feels like. Um, <laughs> you were room sharing with Anamique, weren't you?
4: Yeah, yeah, for two weeks. Yeah, we, First we had a house together close to the course and then uh, we uh, shared a hotel room in, uh, in Sydney, yeah.
3: So how was she after that then, given the fact that she would have been one of the favourites for the road race?
4: Yeah, of course, super disappointed mm-hmm. and uh, she came into the room uh, late evening and uh yeah, she said straight away, oh, the doctor said I could write and I do not really uh, have a lot of pain and she could actually do everything with her elbow, so I thought, oh, okay, I never had a doubt if she was going to start, mm-hmm. I never doubted that. But then, the next day we went riding, and uh, yeah, and she was quite positive, and she thought oh yeah it 's no problem and uh, she could do like what she wanted, but she couldn 't stand on the on the bike, and of course that was necessary and Then the day after we went again and uh, and she could also stand on her bike, so I thought, okay, I think it 's going to be uh all right." But you never know. Of course, mm. she had. Uh, yeah, of course, she she was not as strong as she as she normally was. So we we had to change all the tactics and all the plans. Um, yeah, and she was. Uh, yeah, I mean, she she tried to hide that she was very disappointed, mm-hmm. but she couldn't really <laughs> on the room. She was. Yeah, I mean, of course, you feel that that she she was just super devastated, and she was saying like, "Oh, I really, uh, I, I really wanted to become one more time world champion, and now it's not possible." And and you. Have your world champion title i'm so jealous this kind
3: of thing you know? uh, i didn't really know what to
4: say of course i tried to yeah to comfort her in the beginning but then at one point yeah i also don't know what to say and i thought let's just make the best out of it and, it, and in the end it's still on a meek so you know she can always do uh, crazy stuff so um yeah she showed that once again
3: i am guessing that none of you could have imagined that the race would have panned out the way that it did i mean it was it was To watch it was almost shocking. I was on my feet screaming at the television because I couldn't believe what I was seeing in that finale. I'm presuming that was just as much of a surprise for all of you.
4: Definitely, yeah, definitely. (laughs) No one could have ever thought this. I think uh, no one in the team, no one... And Annemiek herself, not even, no one, like, you, you saw the disbelief also from all of mm-hmm. us, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, it, in the final kilometers, uh, I was still trying to bring Marianne back to the to the group in front of us, and the group in front of us was with Annemiek in the back, uh, but that group was still not with the first riders mm. in the race. Um, so, And I saw Annemiek at the very back of that group, and I saw her, like, you know, almost... Yeah, you saw her like really in the back of that group, so I could almost touch her all the time. (laughs) And I saw she was not in the front (laughs) uh, until the last kilometer, all of a sudden, uh, yeah, we, we, we just couldn't reach that group anymore. And then you cross the finish line and then you hear. Annemiek has won. And I'm like, Annemiek has won? How how did this happen? What happened? (laughs) Yeah, that was just really, really weird. Like, yeah, you kind of, I I kind of crossed the finish line a little bit disappointed thinking like, oh yeah, well, we couldn't do it today. And then you hear this. So yeah, Um, yeah, that was just, uh, yeah, I think everybody was in total disbelief.
3: Obviously, you were all in for Mariana Voss. How was she afterwards? Because it wasn't to be for her, but obviously the team won, essentially. Yeah,
4: yeah she was super happy for Annemiek. And, of course, also a bit disappointed that mm. she couldn't uh, finish off the work. But, yeah, in the end, she was just really happy that the team won, I think. And, uh, yeah, you know, Mariana, I mean, we all know, like, as a writer, you always want to win. So, of course, she was disappointed that she uh, she couldn't do it. Um, but I think we showed, um, yeah, we did everything we could as a team. And uh, yeah, if it's not uh, not the day, then it's not the day. But in the end, uh, it turned out perfect.
3: So what's next for you then, Ellen? It's almost a shame that the World Championships come so late in the season whenever it confirms just how strong you are right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh,
4: well, I'll do Tour de Romandie this mm. weekend. Um and then I do Chrono de Nation in uh in France and then uh yeah then we go to uh, America to trek for a couple of days just for a sponsor and then it's uh it's really done. So um yeah, still some some nice stuff to do and still I can wear my rainbow mm. jersey. So uh that's cool.
3: That is nice. I want to ask you briefly, I know you're about to head off on a training session and I'm keeping you um too long as it is but i was watching the new netflix documentary and shamefully i can't remember the name of of it now i will remember by the time we get to record the podcast um but obviously you have a (laughs) what's it called again human playground human playground that's it obviously you have a huge starring role in the first episode which is narrated by idris elba it's been amazing for me to watch that i think because I'm obviously so used to watching racing and women's racing anyway, and and I watched every second of Paris Roubaix that I could watch. But seeing it from an outsider's point of view and seeing just how brutal it can be portrayed by people who don't cover women's racing is really actually exciting. How did you find it?
4: Yeah, well, uh, thanks for the nice words. Yeah, it was really cool to, to watch it. Um, anyway, I think it's super cool to be in a Netflix series. Yeah, um, yeah it, it, last year I almost forgot about it already because last year they had many, many days where we were filming and doing stuff and then it was quite an intense project but then now it's one year later already so I thought, oh yeah. And it's really cool when you watch it and you think, oh yeah, I look pretty tough. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Do you know why that is, Ellen? Because you are pretty
0: tough. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's cool that they made that, that they make me look like this. Um, but also,
4: um, uh, yeah, in one way, I also thought, you know, I had a concussion in that race, yeah, and yeah, I still yeah, finished yeah. the race. And then, uh, yeah, I hear a lot of positive comments, which is really nice from people like, oh, yeah, it's really cool, you're so tough, blah blah blah, which is great. But I also like to know, like to say that. Honestly, I, I would not recommend this because, mm. yeah, I finished the race, but it took me more than three months to recover from this, uh, from this concussion. And it's really not a smart idea to keep, keep riding me for concussions. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes, you know, you want to be tough and you want to be cool, but, yeah, <laughs> sometimes it's really stupid. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah, very, very true. Um, have you had much of a reaction from that um, series so far? Because it feels like it's gone a lot wider than than usual cycling coverage which you would expect I guess when it's a Netflix series and it, and it is a bigger project than just cycling and, and as I say Idris Elba's involved in it. Have you had much of a reaction to it?
4: Yeah I did actually which is really nice also from people outside of cycling yeah so um, it's cool that, that other people also see from a different point of view what we're doing. So that
3: was Ellen Van Dyke once again the world champion and we ended up uh, finishing that interview, talking about something that's, um, I guess, connected, obviously, to cycling, but quite separate. And that's this new Netflix series that has caused a little bit, well, quite a lot of interest, really. It's uh, called Human Playground, narrated by Idris Elba. And what's really interesting is that the first episode, it's all about... Um, the history of play and humankind's relationship with play and uh, this first episode in particular is about how we push the pain barrier in pursuit of play and follows ellen in particular through the inaugural paris-roubaix fam what i find fascinating watching it is, is it was my husband who actually drew my attention to it and he's not really into cycling very much other than what he hears from me he's not even that much into sport Um, but it popped up on his Netflix suggestions. And then the next day he said, oh, you've got to watch this. This is amazing. Look at this race. It's absolutely brutal. Look at this rider. She's phenomenal. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's Pari Ribé and that's Ellen. Of course I know all about this. But watching it as an outsider essentially, or at least through outsiders eyes, made me see the race and cycling and women's racing in a really different way. And I find that really exciting. And I love the fact that they've done that because it's it sort of, hopefully will bring a wider audience to it anyway. Um, but I find it really interesting just to watch women's racing from the outside as if I'd never seen it before, you know?
1: It's so interesting also thinking back to Paris-Roubaix, because it does feel like a distant mm. memory, doesn't it, this year's Paris-Roubaix? Uh, and thinking about how instrumental Ellen Van Dyke is for, you know, both her trade team uh, Trek Segafredo because obviously she launched Elisa Longo Borghini yeah but this uh, was actually there, following year one so this um, is
3: when uh, Lizzie Dignan when, oh. she was also instrumental there um, ended up crashing I think oh well, well there times, you go finished with Concussion Um, But but still finished the race, which is why Ellen was saying in in our chat there, maybe not such a good idea, you know, to keep riding through concussion because it took me a couple of months to recover from that. Yeah. Um, But but yeah, just seeing it from that perspective made me realize how brutal the sport is. And I forget that. Lizzie, you lot are bonkers. You're properly bonkers. (laughs) (laughs) it's a stupid sport I can't dispute
2: dispute that but she was also instrumental in in Mm. world championships win and you know she was she was instrumental in bringing what was at that point the third group on the road back Uh, and so was Annemiek in terms of pulling because they were trying to pull Mariana Voss back and and so like you say across the board and and I think that you know had they not have had this disastrous hiccup (laughs) um, with Annemiek crashing so spectacularly in the um, in the mixed time trial, then they would have been vying for that win against against Switzerland, even though the men had uh, a disastrous time in their time trial. So, she is so influential across the board, and I think what I love about Ellen is, in the last few years, she seems to have really grown into into herself almost, um, become so confident in herself, um, so confident in her ability as a rider and And somehow lost the ability to worry about things. I don't know if that's Mm -hmm. the right way of putting it, but she seems to enjoy it so much and have less energy for for, for worrying about if something's Mm -hmm. going to go wrong or if she's going to win and more energy into working out how she's going to do her best for herself and for the team. And it's really paying off. She's the world hour record. She's the three-time world time trial champion. Um, And, you know, she's of, of course the former European road race champion. And I, I, you would never put it past Ellen Van Dyke to be the world road race champion either. She can she can do anything. She's always there. She can be there on any course. She's she's a phenomenal rider and an inspiration for many on the bike and with the way that she conducts herself so importantly off the bike.
1: We should actually give a quick word uh, about her time trial performance because it, it was a, it was extraordinary. I mean, uh, in second place on that time trial was Grace Brown, who was 12 seconds back. And then Marlon Roycer, who Lizzie, you tipped. We We've been kind of bigging up the rivalry between Marlon Royce and uh, Ellen Van Dyke, haven't we? Um, this year and how that will continue into the future. Marlon Roycer finished 41 seconds down on Ellen Van Dyke. Uh Victoria Guazzini finished 52 seconds and everyone else was over a minute uh down on her. I mean it was it's really a, an incredible performance from uh Ellen Van Dyke. And uh well was Grace Brown a surprise for you, Lizzie? Because, you know, you had tipped Marlon Roycer to uh, it, it You had tipped it to be between Marlon Royce and Ellen Van Dyke going uh, th- when we were talking I in the preview. I think we
2: said in the last episode that, that Grace Brown was a not-that-dark horse. Um, mm. If I remember rightly, um, because, I mean, Gr- Grace had been performing so well, and I think the reason that it's so easy to say that the rivalry is between between Ellen van Dijk and Marlon Royce is because we saw them so recently in the European Championships go head to head and it was an absolute nail biter. Now, Grace Brown wasn't there for obvious reasons, (laughs) being an Australian citizen. um, But we did see from her a very dominant performance at the Commonwealth Games uh i'm pretty sure i'm just gonna say that we've said that she was a dark horse and hopefully nobody (laughs) will go back and listen to that episode to actually find out that sounds good to me um but she'd been performing so strongly it was a home world championships the bittersweet thing for grace brown that she was she was one of the the early starters and so she was sat in that hot seat for the whole race um only to finally be taken off the hot seat by the final rider out on the course alan van dyke so um i think it's it was a really great result for grace um not unexpected, but very difficult to have to sit there in your home world championships. only need to get to get removed from the top spot right at the very last.
1: Well, let's talk a little bit more about the world championships road race uh, because it was looking that it didn't look like it was going to be an Annemiek van Vleuten uh, victory whatsoever. <laughs> Did it. And uh, I really thought when that uh, group of f- five, uh, Liana Lipper, Lisa Longo-Borghini, Cecily ludwig Ashley Moorman, and Kashinivia Doma went away twice, in fact. It was like a little deja vu moment. I really thought they were set for the victory. Lizzie, how did you how did you read it when you were watching it?
2: Oh, the race was really good, wasn't <laughs> it? It was really, really good. And it's interesting because Kashinivia Doma said in her interviews very plainly, I'm going to attack the second last time up Mount Pleasant, which was the roughly 12% kilometre long climb on the course. And it was the decisive moment on the course that the riders had to tackle numerous times, six times, I think. Um, and that's exactly what she did. And she forced she forced this group with the riders that you mentioned. Uh, Liana Lippert was absolutely driving that group. She was really the key component to it staying away. Uh, Niva Damer was committed as well. Um, but I have to say there were a couple of members who were definitely less committed uh, to that move. Um, there was a Dutch team behind who had, to everybody's surprise, missed it with a slightly out-of-sorts, Annemiek van Vluten, of course, racing with that broken elbow. And... Um, like we said before ellen van dyke worked so hard to bring it back and and it came back together and then it split again and it looked like they they might just make it to the line but it was that lack of cohesion and in the end that lack of cohesion cost every single one of that five a medal none of those five that were away for such a significant portion proportion of the action-packed part of the race actually ended up with a medal so I mean, we heard Nivea Doma say in the interviews afterwards that she was very, very frustrated by that. Um, and I think that Lippert was, Liana Lippert must have been one of the most frustrated riders because she looked so strong and she worked so, so hard and it came back together. But but really it was the biggest surprise of all. Meek van Vloenen, who was, in the third group on the road had spent much of the road race working for man of who was the out-and-out leader for the day they had one clear plan as we so often criticize the dutch for not having they had that plan um and in within the last kilometer you know Annemiek van bloon came came back to the second group which at the same time came back to the front group and then took an absolute fly from the back of the bunch two seconds hesitation. And then that was all it took for everybody else to lose the race. And Meek, in absolute disbelief to take what I think is probably the best win of her career.
3: Yeah, I would agree. I have rarely, I mean, I get animated watching the end of bike races anyway, or the key action of a bike race. And I can't sit still, I can't sit down. But with this finale, I cannot remember screaming so loudly in disbelief at a television. I was literally two feet jumping up and down, pointing at the screen as if no one else around me could see it at the time. But I was pointing at it, going, "What? What? What?" The? And lots of ex- expletives and and. Animation. I I literally could not believe what I was watching, and that to say that about someone like Anamiek van Vleuten, who we we have seen win in so many different ways, just absolutely floored me. And and also, I think the fact that the race was panning out pretty much the way we expected, as in. We kind of knew, in inverted commas, if Anna van Vluten was going to win, she was going to have to attack early. She couldn't attack early because of her injury. So we were hoping for this select group of punchers towards the end getting away, which they did, not just once but twice. So you're thinking, I mean, I, I tweeted you at the time, Lizzie. <laughs> you know, I was so absorbed in the race that I didn't see it until a few hours
2: afterwards. I was so, I was so captivated by it. But sorry, Ola, let let, me, let you continue.
3: Yeah, I was just so proud. I just thought this is exactly how I I knew this race was going to pan out until Anna Meek goes and Anna makes it in an entirely different way. And it was just, it was one of the most beautiful sporting moments I've maybe ever seen, really. Everything together. and And... Obviously, we should not be glorifying or hero worshipping somebody riding through injury. It was entirely her decision. She's a grown-up, she knows exactly how her body works. Um, she should be allowed and she is allowed to make her own decisions. But you cannot ignore the fact that she rode through the pain barrier in a way that most of us simply cannot comprehend. And to just, I just I'm still flabbergasted even thinking about it. And actually, one thing I wanted to ask both of you is whether you think that, you know, given that select group, given that they got away. Not just once, but twice. And given the fact that Anna Meek gave plenty of tailroom for somebody to jump on the back of her in that finale, it wasn't like a last minute sprint because she wouldn't have been able to do that. There were plenty of opportunities, it feels like, as an outsider, for any one of those riders to have been able to make that race their own. Maybe with the exception of Liana Lippert because she worked so hard. Like, it's it's difficult to see how she wouldn't have been on her knees in the end. Maybe too hard, I don't know. But did the others also give it away in a way? And I hate that. Actually, I want to almost take that back as the words are leaving my mouth because that's always disrespectful both to the riders and to the winner. And that's not what I mean. But could there be regret, I guess, when you're playing armchair directeur sportif. Yeah. And you're saying, why didn't they? But 100%, why didn't they just make that I mean stick? I mean we're gonna hear What's from
2: Lisa Black, that? the new under twenty three world champion later on, and we'll hear exactly how how regretful she feels because she was the rider on Anamique's wheel when Animeek did that attack. Um Lotta Kapeki who who took second place the vice world champion now uh we saw her absolutely throw her fists in frustration (laughs) against her handlebars as she crossed the line for second place because Mm -hmm. she knows full well that she screwed up she hesitated for one second too long um and she she absolutely dominated that bunch sprint but she was a second behind the winner. So she lost the world championships in effect. And then of course the regret from Kashiniv because the group hadn't worked together. Could she have attacked that group? I don't know. Um, and then, of course, you think, well, if Anamique did that, that flyer mm. when the third group was coming back to the second group who was coming back to the first group, could somebody in the second group not have done that as a surprise when coming back to the first group? Because it only would have been a mm-hmm. couple of hundred metres later. But that is the nature of bike racing. You get to the finish, and unless you've won, you always think you could have done mm. something more.
1: I really did think it was in the hands yeah. of that uh, mm. that that group of five that went away every time on Mount Pleasant. I really did think... Mm. I do think that they had they they could have won it. The winner could have come from from those five. And they should have. And I was actually mm. surprised by the thing. Surely they and should have we, done. We hardly saw uh Cecilia Ludwig uh on the front of that group at all. Uh mm. didn't see much or, from Ashley. Or when she, did, she did a dummy pull. Yeah, and, and you know, did I and that really surprised me because mm. um mm. You know, when they all came back together into that slightly um, bigger group, those uh, riders, a lot of them were the only kind of solo riders uh, for their solo representatives of their country. So Seti Ludwig was the uh, the only Danish rider. Ashley Mormon was the only um, South African rider. Um, And uh, obviously Lisa Longley Borghini had uh, other Italians and uh, Liana Lippert. Um, uh, had other Germans, but it, so it surprised me that that Ashley Mormon Pasio and uh, Cecilia Ludwig didn't do more because um, they were the one chance for their uh, national team. But obviously, we could, you know, we can't tell what was going through their head or you know how well they were feeling. But I would have thought um, Cecilia Ludwig particularly would have been the course would have really suited her. Ashley Mormon Pasio, I, I can see that she can get away on the climbs. Um, but she's a lot more kind of a, of a pure climber than the likes of Cecily Utrecht-Ludwig Lian, or Liana Lippert, uh, who I think could have probably, in Cecily's own words, put the hammer down a little bit um, and could have uh, stayed away, especially when you see them go away twice on the same climb. It makes you think, well, surely those are the strongest riders in this race. Um, for them to have not uh, not kept away but you know there's so much dynamics going into it isn't there i mean uh, you know you sometimes hear about riders not wanting to work because they don't want some one of the other riders they don't have a particular thing against one of the other riders or um because they then they're not sure what they're doing or they're not sure about their own abilities So there's lots of things that that go into it but i really thought that it was the win was in their hands at that point in the race.
3: Isn't it that age old impossible scenario really where you've got a bunch of really strong riders, many of whom Mm. are, are well suited to the same kind of scenario. And you can't go too early obviously because you might go too early. And you also don't want to drag anyone else to the line and give them the advantage. And and like I say, Liana Lippert did a brilliant job of bringing everyone with her. If, if there had been a few others doing the same effort as her, you would think that surely they would have managed to stay away. Hmm. Well, you
2: say that, but the ironic thing is that the Lippert was the rider that finished in the highest position the out highest, of all of them. Yeah. Out of the top 13 riders, the only nationality that was yeah, Jupiter was True, Italy. true, true. So, The Mm. top 13 riders were all from a different nation other than two riders from Italy. And so, I mean, definitely, you know, the other riders, uh, excluding Longo Borghini, had most to lose. Longo Borghini Mm. had a good card to play with Persico behind. But whether or not she knew that Persico behind was another thing, because let's not forget they don't have race radios. So we don't, you'll know who's in front of you if you see those riders go, but you won't always know exactly the group, the makeup of the group behind So, and in the case of Utrecht Ludwig, she does have a good finishing kick. So I think that in particular for her, that was was a big loss. And and also for Mormon Passio, you know, Ashley Mormon Passio ended up finishing 11th Mm. outside of the top 10. She would have been guaranteed a top five. And you just think just just work together just cement that lead and then once you get to one or two k start messing around but at least make that lead work mm, but you know i actually yeah. i'm pleased that liana lippert did come forth in the end because although she you know i'm sure she will be bittersweet about missing the podium at least she got the best reward for actually working hard in that group
1: but it's interesting isn't it i mean yeah. who were they uh worried about because it I know that you said Lizzie. As soon as Mariana Voss is in a group, people start like they stop working because mm. you're worried about Mariana Voss. But in that group, they all kind of evenly match in terms of their kick at the end. But I mean, I, I would guess have said that's a worry, isn't it? They're worried about each other. One of the was one of the better save your riders with a stronger kick, finishing kick. So you'd think that she would kind of collaborate a bit more because it would have been work. It would have been moving towards her kind of uh, racing more if they'd stayed stayed away there.
2: It's so interesting. I think all five of them, you know, you can all think of, sometimes you think of Longo Borghini as someone who doesn't, have a punch but then there's races that she's won yeah.
1: you know from well from the women's sprint, tour actually. we saw she she was exactly. you know do you remember mm. that last stage of the women's tour lizzie exactly and, and... she
2: took the bonus seconds and she took the overall victory with that sprint mm-hmm. and then nivia domo is famous for her punch so is it ludwig actually ashley mormon passio at liege baston liege we saw her sprinting for the line and it was incredibly impressive liana lippert we know she's a punchy rider so actually none of them have anything to lose i don't know this that kind of behavior always baffles me
3: (laughs) in the race and watching it i'm 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 kind of relieved to hear that because i always get really annoyed when i'm watching it and and then i think to myself orla what do you know you've never raced a bike in your life you know so all i'm doing is watching it as an onlooker but when i see that scenario play out i think oh come on surely logic would dictate x y or z but I guess the other thing to remember is what you've referenced already, Lizzie, is that they don't have time gaps. They don't know. They don't have race radio. So they may not have known what kind of a gap they had on the, on the bunch behind. They may have thought they had more time. They may have thought they had more time to play around who knows yes
2: but they do know that the world championships is up for grabs and that they need to work together and they do know that there are always riders that you do want to be in a bunch with you know if you're trying to break away and there are riders that you don't want to be in a bunch with and i'm not going to specifically <gasps> name any names Ooh. but some of these riders are notorious for
3: not working Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> salty i like it <laughs> we'll have to have an after hours episode lizzie and get it all out of you <laughs> the, the live after hours. That'll be a friend of the podcast, sit around with a,
1: a nightcap and a, a cigarette, and uh, and uh, dish the dirt. But exactly. um, I mean, it was great to see a race that wasn't. A, I mean, obviously uh, the the Dutch won in the end when uh, Annemiek van Vleuten won, but it wasn't a Dutch dominance uh, dominated race. And what, one thing we haven't mentioned is, that, of course, that Demi Vollering uh, didn't take to the start because she uh, she had yeah, COVID. DNS. Um, and so mm. it was great to see the. I think uh, a race that that didn't have that uh, Dutch control uh, on it. Despite, I mean, and it just shows you the, their power is that they can mm. not have the control on the race and still win it, doesn't it? <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> a race that didn't have the Dutch control, but the Dutch won. Yeah, yeah. they didn't. Did no, have... I mean it, that's what that's what was so great <laughs> about it. It was so unexpected. We thought, wow, this is a race where finally the Dutch, the Dutch aren't. They're not in control. They're not winning. They're not just, they're the ones in the third group chasing everybody else. And they still win. And then they Mm. still won. And the drama, you know, the fact that we're all sitting on the sofa, yelling at the TV, that's what made it Do so Do you know what big. as
3: well? Thank goodness for Elisa Balsamo last year, because I think if we'd come off the back of a Dutch win with that kind of a win, we might not have been quite so excited about it. But it was the fact that it was completely unexpected. The fact that we, that we weren't necessarily expecting a Dutch winner this time, certainly not, not as the out-and-out favourite with uh, Mariana Vos, uh, means that we could celebrate it all the more, really. So, thank you. Grazie, Elisa.
0: <laughs> the cycling podcast Femina is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science.
1: Thank you very much to our sponsors, Science in Sport. If you're looking for sports nutrition, then head to scienceinsport.com. And, of course, as always, you can get 25% off your products there if you use the code SISCP25. Now, we haven't given too much mention to the winner of the under-23. Obviously, the under-23 title wrapped into the same race uh, as the elite uh, road race. And we spoke a little bit about, um, well, we spoke actually quite a lot about how that kind of uh, doesn't particularly work uh, in the preview. Uh, but we should give our congratulations to Neve Fisher-Black um, for taking the under-23 title. And I have to say, I know that it was less than ideal uh, to have the two races uh, combined in the way that it was, but I'm so grateful that we came out with it, came out of that race mm. with an under twenty three champion mm. like me, Fisher Black, because she is exactly the kind of rider that you would want to uh, have that accolade, isn't she?
2: Yeah, she is. She's she's very well spoken. She stands up for what she believes in, um, and I think that it's very important that we have women who who are prepared to speak their mind when it matters. Mm. Um, in these roles and she has a voice and she will use it for good. Um, so let's hear what Neve Fisher-Black, the new world under-23 road race champion, had to say about the Wollongong World Championships. Well, Neve, first off, how does it feel to become the first ever under-23 women's world road race champion?
5: Yeah, it's good. I mean, uh, yeah, a week on now, it's pretty much, yeah, sunken. I-, I can see the rainbow jersey every morning. So yeah, it's a pretty, pretty cool feeling. Any cyclist dream, I think, to have a rainbow jersey. So, yeah, I'm
2: glad to be part of the club now. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, well, it's interesting because when you started out as a professional cyclist, there wasn't that option to be a U23 world champion, was there? But you had a brilliant race and you were fighting to the death. On the final lap, you are in that small group with the eventual winner, Annemiek van Vluten, and did a huge pull, probably critical, I'd say, in bringing that group back to the front. Did you go into this race with the mentality that you were fighting for that U23 rainbow jersey, or was that an afterthought and the elite podium was actually something that was on your radar?
5: Um, yeah, well, I mean, I, w- I went into the race to, pre- like, I mean, the race was for the elite podium, so that I went in to race for that. you're on that kind of course that, that I could maybe be up there with the top girls, so... Yeah, of course I wanted to race for the elite race, and that was the the overall goal. There was always an extra incentive there that that, that there was another rainbow jersey that I could get that day. So, um, yeah, of course I thought about that also.
2: How much did you know out on the road? Because, of course, we know that there are no race radios in, in this race, famously um and it was very clear to us watching on the tv that you were really fighting for that win in the u23 classification well and the overall but very clearly you were ahead of of a georgie who was the next rider in the u23 category on the road who was in the group behind you but how much did you know were you fully aware of the situation at that point going into the finale of who was where on the road and the fact that if you went to the finish with the, that, that group, that you were going to take that rainbow jersey?
5: I was very quite aware. I mean, at this point in the year and in, in, the, in the competition, I know I know my competition. I mean, I'm racing them all year. So I actually, I know in the back of my head who's under 23 and who's elite. And always, I, I, yeah, of course we had no race radios, but that just means that we have to be, a little bit extra aware and extra focus the whole race and I think that was probably one of the hardest things about worlds being keeping switched on for what four, four and a half hours of racing but yeah always I just I made sure to look around me see who was there I think that's really important in racing to, to acknowledge who was there and in the, the strengths of the riders around you so of course I was doing it anyway and in my head I could just, see who who was on 23 and who was not and quickly when the f- race stubs to sort of blow up like in the last two laps I quickly sort of realized that I was on pretty well only the under 23 that was sort of going with the, the or not quite going with the top top move but um, the, that, that next small group back I, I was the only one there um, both times it blew up on that climb um, so yeah I was pretty confident there
2: so was there a point when that mentality switched to kind of thinking, OK, I'm going for the elite top step here to I'm protecting my U23 jersey?
5: No, I don't think it ever switched. I mean, I was always racing for the elite u uh, sure And few people have made comments that in the last 5Ks I was pulling to pull away from the group behind me. But I think that I would disagree because I was pulling because the race was ahead of me. You know, there was a chance that we would catch them and then I'd be racing for the podium or, or even the win. So, of course, I was going to help.
2: Absolutely. Oh, and and, and mean, you were because that group we came all, back together. Yeah. You, it was all one group that finished with Annemiek one second in front. And actually, one thing that I noticed, because um, when we were watching on the TV, Annemiek just came from behind. But the, as they were coming back, you were the rider that was on Annemiek's wheel. Um, yeah, exactly. And so did you did you see her go then? And was it just a case of just simply not being able to respond? Because I guess everybody was absolutely maxed out at that point.
3: Yeah, I think this was
5: probably one of my biggest regrets if I look back on the race. I mean, uh, yeah, I was there with Anna Meek and I absolutely saw her go. But I think it was the same situation as everybody in that group. I mean, <laughs> we all saw her go and we all hesitated for a moment. And that was how we lost the race you know I mean in my head all I was thinking was Meek was not in the race today you know I'd never considered that Meek was in the race I was I saw her working for her teammates early on in the race and she had a broken elbow I mean it was quite quite a state to to look at like I never considered that she could potentially win and um I think that that just shows perhaps my naivety or I don't know, perhaps the fact that it's not over to the line, the absolute line and enemy cause yeah, something special. And I think, yeah, I was just one of the many in that group um, that day that, that hesitated a moment too long. So yeah, that's how you, that's how you lose a race in the end, isn't it?
2: <laughs> yeah, but I guess at least you were the only one in that group that got a pretty good consolation prize. <laughs> yeah yeah, exactly but i mean after the finish did you know did you know straight away that you'd won the u23 or was it so hectic with everything coming back together that you maybe weren't even sure if another group had come back to you or you know how long was it until you really realized that actually you know, you'd also want a rainbow jersey.
5: Well, I didn't think about it straight away. Obviously, as I just explained, the first sort of moment, even in the finishing straight, I already let myself just feel frustrated. And then as I crossed the line, I was like in absolute disbelief about what just happened. Um, but then, sort of, when I came to a, a stop, I did look around me to the other girls that were also stopping, finishing with me. And um, yeah, I saw that I was only under 23 there. my Trade teammates, <laughs> not not my teammates in the day, came up to me and patted me on the back and said, I mean, you've got a rainbow jersey. And yeah, so then, then I realised. But it was, yeah, it was not, yeah, there was a moment probably. <laughs> and
2: then those feelings about the, the regret perhaps started to change, did they?
5: Yeah, exactly. Um, I think, yeah, I, I think any race you can have regrets and, and think about mistakes you made, but it's not every day you win a rainbow jersey. So, so when I stood on that podium, I just i just said to myself just yeah put put that all behind me and just yeah enjoy the moment of pulling on a rainbow jersey because yeah it's not every day that happens huh?
1: well that was nee fisher black and of course one of the really sad things uh, about this is that she won't actually get to wear her under 23 rainbow jersey at any races will she lizzie no well the only
2: u23 women's race and which is actually a new race on the calendar for next year is is the women's uh tour tour lavender um but neve won't be a u23 next year uh she will be an elite so she won't actually get to wear that unfortunately mm. just look at it on her
3: bedroom wall which is which is a nice thing to have on your bedroom wall at least but i i kind of want to correct myself a little bit because in the preview Um, episode I was almost questioning the point of having an under 23 jersey or category at all if it was going to be the race within the race and um, I guess you know sometimes it depends on who wins and all the rest of it but um, this is this is huge for Niamh Fisher Black it's absolutely huge and it would be for anyone who won this category and this jersey whether you get to wear the jersey or not that will never be removed from your palmaris and and I think it's easy um, to overlook that whenever it's not been won in the same way. So you don't have that same moment of glory crossing the line. And for Fisher Black, she was frustrated first and then delighted that she'd won. Um, but it's a huge accolade and it's a, sh- a huge mark of potential. Um, and and I think it is, act- it is a good thing to have it. It's better to have it than not. Obviously, we'd all love to see the race separated, but... Um, I correct myself because I kind of thought there wasn't much point to it. But now I see Nee Fisher-Black and the kind of rider she is and what this brings to her. And, and even the fact that her name is being mentioned, you know, a lot in, in mm. cycling circles now in a way that maybe people wouldn't have noticed her amongst other riders before. It, it's a big deal. Um, so it is it is great for her. And I think with
2: that in mind, we should also give mention to v- Vittoria Guazzini, who was the U23 champion in the time trial mm. with... Let's be honest, an absolutely spectacular result. She was she was fourth, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, Rosa or Orler, I can't remember which one of you said, you know, she was the only other rider within a minute mm-hmm. of Alan Van Dyke. And we're really witnessing there with Vittoria Quazzini a, a sort of coming of age. She had a critical role in the road race as well. She she had a domestique role, but she worked so, so hard pulling the Italian team. Um, and you know, one of those moments where you just give everything and then you pull off and you literally <laughs> come to a complete stop. And she was on Mount Pleasant, so she really did come to a complete stop. Um, but she's had a, a great season after breaking her ankle in Paris Roubaix last year, um, an amazing comeback and an amazing season. And I I think to take that that U23 jersey in the time trial is um just a brilliant way to top off that season for her.
1: Yeah and uh, I I'm so relieved that uh the winner of the under 23 title was someone who was going mm. for the winner win of the elites because you know in, in I, cases, we kind of yeah and we were speculating weren't we about the uh at the road race the british team fielded a very young team uh, that they were and they came away with five for georgie obviously came uh, second in the under 23 silver in the under 23 uh race um but i'm, I'm glad uh, in a way that it didn't go for a team that was working solely for that under 23 title because i think if a lot of teams had done that it really would have upset the dynamic mm. um mm. of the race uh, but it but it does mean that you mentioned victoria Guazzini, and and that it's a shame that she would have just been not in contention for the under-23 title at all in the road race, because of her. she was in a, a team where they had uh, champions going for the elite title. so it was just not possible for her to, to try her luck for the under-23 um, title. But we'll see what happens uh, in the future, and uh, we can just uh, hope that they will have um, an under, a separate under-23 race. Uh, but then it does leave a question mark you know who would who would do it i don't know mm. you know would you not just go for the elites anyway especially when there's not an under 23 uh there's not a season of under 23 races in that exists for uh, the female riders anyway at the moment
3: i guess it's that argument though about it being a step up towards the elite so that you've got that bridging period if mm. you like you know you've got the likes of zoe backstead who's now just turned 18 and she's jumping straight into the elite ranks um obviously as you say if they don't have the under 23 races anyway then then that's really where the problem lies but Yeah, the development of the under-23 category for the women has to be the next step, really. I think as ever with the women's cycling, it's imperfect, but it's a start. So, you know, copy and paste ad infinitum, I think, across uh, women's racing. Not perfect, but it's a start.
1: Well, we'll leave it there for our World Champs uh, discussion. We'll be back next month, um, of course, where there'll be less racing uh, to talk about, but a few transfers, uh, riders retiring, um, uh, and we've got people retiring and unretiring, don't we? We do indeed. Well, of course we first heard the rumblings of
2: perhaps Mormon Passio unretiring and then confirmed by her move to AG Insurance Next G. Uh, Now we've just had Marta Bastianelli confirmed as unretiring. She's continuing on with UAE Team ADQ for one more year. And now we're beginning to hear the rumblings of perhaps... Anemiek van Vluten unretiring. She. This is how it started with Mormon Passio. All oh, my legs have been really good. I'm the best I've ever been. Um, and so I think, especially with the Olympic year in 2024, and probably the Olympic road race, the one title that that yet eludes Anemiek van Vluten we may see a change of thought over the next year. So that's going to be a really interesting story to see how that unfolds. Um, but. It's great she's just getting better as she gets older and I love the fact that there was a there was a great sort of uh, picture on Twitter side by side with Remco yeah. as as a 23 year old um world champion and Anemic Van Vleuten you know nearly 40 so it just shows that nothing is impossible and age is definitely not a barrier to success I know, and, everyone and I love the-
1: about how great Remco's uh, achievements were and you know there's Anemic Van Vleuten who's effectively won th- Three grand tour. I know they're not proper grand tours, but um, not all of them anyway. But to have won all three grand tours and to be the world champion um, is just with a broken
3: album. Broken <laughs> out. with a bit. I have to say, I love all these unretirements. This is how I like to leave a party. Just one more dance. Just one more dance. Can't leave the fun.
1: <laughs> well, we'll have to see uh, in a few months' time who uh, who does actually end up on the start line um, and who doesn't. But we'll have plenty uh, to talk about. Uh, next month so uh, thank you very much for your company ladies thank you lizzie cheers rose <laughs> oh god no we're being sucked back <laughs> it's gonna just descend into a load of uh mite stereotypes um but well th- thank you all let's get out of this as quickly as we can i think before
3: it does throw another shrimp on the barbie mate Um, thank you
1: very much I'm just I'm watching our cycling podcast uh, listenership figures uh, plummet uh, as I sit here Um, but uh, if you are still listening particularly if you're Australian uh, then thank you for listening sorry (laughs) sorry and thank you for listening The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore Daniel Freed and Lionel Burney.